there, you're listening to the Game Developers Playlist, a new podcast from gamesindustry.biz. I'm your host, Rebecca Valentine. Uh, this is the first episode of a new series we're trying out. If you've read the site regularly, you might have seen a column that we do called Why I Love, uh, in which we enlist folks in the games industry to write a bit about the games that have inspired them or shaped their journey as developers, creators, and game makers. It's a great column, and we're still going to be doing it, which, by the way, if you're interested in that, drop us an email at news at gamesindustry.biz and let us know. Uh, but we also wanted to talk kind of in a more conversational interview style uh, with people across the industry um, about kind of that same subject, about the games that have inspired them and that have, you know, informed their work. So here we are. This is the Game Developers Playlist. Uh, and this week, we're going to kick things off with a first guest who I am just very excited about, uh, who immediately popped into my head as a great candidate to talk about the games that have inspired him after I heard him speak very passionately and enthusiastically about the future of game narratives at PAX West uh, 2018, I think. Uh, oh, don't tell them when it is, because then they can look it up and see how much I was sweating. Don't do that. <laughs> no, you were fantastic. So anyway, yeah, enough jumping around the subject. Uh, listeners, meet Aaron Lind, uh, currently lead narrative designer at 343 Industries, formerly senior writer at Bungie, narrative systems lead at ArenaNet, lead writer at Gearbox. I could go on. There's a long list. I looked at LinkedIn before we did this. Aaron, hello. How's it going? Hi. Oh, it's going pretty good. I'm going to embarrass the hell out of you right now, though. Oh, I get it, take it wrong? Uh, last name is Lindy. Yeah, oh, which is just no. fine. Which is just fine. Which is totally okay. No. I just, I, I, no, I just, I, I, I giggled. So I'm like, oh, that's good. I, We've that's known that's each my other preferred. For two years. How have you never? How have I never been corrected on this? Because you, unlike most of my friends, don't call me Lindy. Like, like it's oh. weird because, like, it's yeah. Because, like, I, I, I think there's something about that name that just tends to, that 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 tends to invite people to just assume that that like people that have met me for you know like all of 30 seconds will just be like, I'm just gonna call you Lindy. That just seems more appropriate. And uh, so, no, I, I just don't think I've had an opportunity to uh, to say my name aloud in front of you. So, yeah, that's... I guess I don't specifically, you know, call you by your first and last name kind of group together. No, you don't. But you should. I, I would really appreciate it if you just call me by my entire name my middle name is frank you could throw that in too you know you've started something now have i oh god Uh oh oh that's bad news <laughs> all right well i could cut all that out but i think i'm just gonna leave it in because it's, it's the inaugural podcast screw it yeah great <laughs> uh, anyway so before we get into the games that inspire you um i want to start by letting everybody know a little bit more about your work you know i kind of like i said i poked at your linkedin before we recorded because i knew about most of your recent roles but aaron you have written a lot of things for a lot of games holy <laughs> moly uh tell yeah. me a little bit first about your journey as a developer and maybe some of the work that you're most proud of so far oh man well so um i like like many of my peers in game narrative and it seems this seems to be a a phenomena particular to game narrative had a had a really weird uh byzantine route into game <laughs> development I, I actually um uh i started off as a as a journalist i worked for um uh, uh destructoid way 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 back in the day and um uh did some stuff with them and then uh worked for uh shack news for a while um uh and then realized that i was a uh i liked writing interviews and features and stuff like that but i i was a reviews editor at destructoid and i kind of hated that because i was like oh man like i, I don't like i didn't like giving scores to shit basically <laughs> i was just like oh that that makes me that makes that makes my soul feel gross um so uh but i managed to uh make a lot of friends while i was doing that and uh a buddy of mine uh chris uh was uh, chris furnace who's a very sweet man um was uh working at microsoft game studios at the time on the gears team uh as a uh, ui ux artist and uh he knew of a need at that time for a web content writer which you know translated kind of well from being a you know word nerd for uh games journalism so <clears throat> i uh started working my very first role was uh 
being a uh, I was a web uh, web content writer for the Gears of War 2 website in the lead up to the Gears of War 2's launch and then and as a contractor at Microsoft and then like basically bounced around from a couple different roles there was on the Gears team for like three years uh, got my first uh, my first writing uh, appeared in Gears 3 I wrote all the lore for Gears 3 because I, I begged to take work off of people's plates I was like I'd really <laughs> like to do that you look busy um, and that was my first credit uh, and uh, after that I uh, bounced around for oh god it's it's a blur at this point I, it's funny because like that for for a lot of game narrative folk I know that the, the 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 kickoff to a career is almost always the same where it's like bridging that gap between having no professional experience and having just some professional experience is that's you're bashing your head against that wall for a while uh, in some cases uh and also you know when i started it was like the financial crisis kicked off three months after <laughs> i uh, started at microsoft so <clears throat> my career was, yeah my career was uh, uh was weird and and convoluted and desperate for a few years but um uh, I worked at Airtight Games for a little while. After that, uh, a very brief consultancy with uh, with Monolith, and then I went to Gearbox to write Battleborn. And uh, and to date, that's despite the fact that game uh, uh, was thoroughly destroyed by Overwatch. I'm still <laughs> of, of of everything, and and I think you'll you'll probably hear me talking a lot about this about the game that we're going to talk about. But of everything I've done so far, it's the most personal. Um, it's definitely the most personal thing I've ever worked on professionally. And um, uh, there's there's for better or worse, there's there's a lot of me in that video game, and uh, it's uh, it was I, I the the. The praise that I will sing for Gearbox is that I, I had license to be more creative there than I think I will ever get at any other studio, and the result was Battleborn. And uh, uh, it's still, I'm I'm sad when I think about it because the servers are going offline in yeah. Uh, January. Yeah. So and when that happens, ugh, nobody's ever going to be able to play it again. So it's that part is sad, and and I uh, it, it bums me out to no end. Um, I need to play through it again <laughs> before that time comes. But uh, but that was um, it was the hardest thing I've ever done and probably the most worthwhile. And, uh, um, and since then I, 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 you know, of all the stuff that I've worked on since that time, um, you know, I've, I've certainly enjoyed every game that I've, I've worked on. Um, but that one obviously is just, it's, you know, how many chances do you get to launch a new IP, you know, and to, and to populate a new IP and to build out a universe and that kind of stuff. And, you know, so I, I'm, I'm always hungry for an opportunity like that again, but until that day comes, that will be the, uh, that will be the, the, the highest point in my resume, I think. All right. And then after that, you went on to, was it ArenaNet after that? It was ArenaNet, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> once, I, uh, once I wrapped up on Battleborn, I, I needed to flee Texas uh, because I am way too pale and sweaty for Texas. <laughs> and uh, um, uh, fled back to the Pacific Northwest and uh, landed at ArenaNet for a few years. That was, that was a really, really great experience. I'd never worked on a live services game before, and um, uh, I had never seen a team... Uh, of a team of creative collaborators that was that was quite so uh, uh, well oiled a machine as the uh, the Guild Wars Two Living World team, like the the regularity of the updates they put out, that kind of stuff. It was so it was it was incredibly intimidating. <laughs> like I just landed, I'm just like, yeah, I just I just wrote a AAA game by myself. That was pretty hard, but this you know this will be fine. I just land, I'm like, this is insane. How do they do this? <laughs> How do they work this hard and this consistently and put out this kind of quality with with this regularity that's madness um so i did that uh with them for a couple of years um bounced around over uh, on a couple of different projects over there and uh then i worked at uh bungie for a brief period and uh, helped to ship shadow keep which was a lot of fun uh, speaking of incredible like basically my career since well my career has just been a series of of 
of encounters with me landing at various developers, looking at the people that I'm working with and my jaw dropping and saying, like, how can I possibly <laughs> like <laughs> how can I possibly match up to these folks? This is insane. The level of talent in this building and that building and this build like Bungie was very much that experience where I'm just like, there's like nine hundred people here and they're all at the very top of their game. Uh why, why, what am I doing here? Um, but that was, uh, that was a wonderful experience. Uh, we finished up Shadowkeep, and then I uh, came over to 343 Industries to work on Halo. And that brings us to today. And here you are. And here I am. <laughs> so that you know, leads nicely into the focus of this chat, uh, which is the games that have inspired your work. And man, that's a lot of work and a lot of really cool work and a lot of like, big work that many people will be familiar with. Um, so when I asked you about this, um, to do this initially, um, the, first, the first game that like, immediately leapt to your mind was Earthbound. Um, yeah. And so when did you first play Earthbound? What was that experience like? I first played Earthbound uh, when I was, um, I was 12 years old. It was the summer. Uh, it was my 12th summer. Uh, and, uh, um, and that game I had, I was a, I was a Nintendo kid. I was a super Nintendo kid and, um, you know, was all about RPGs, Final Fantasy, Chrono Trigger, all that stuff was crazy about it. And, uh, I was a Nintendo power subscriber. So all of the ah, pre-release yes. earthbound marketing really got, you know, cause I was just hungry for anything that had the name or that, that had the, uh, genre tag RPG attached to it. Like mm. that was just my jam. That was what I was into. Um, and I, I credit RPGs like Final Fantasy two is probably the reason that I write. Um, I, I started the, one of the first things that I wrote was Final Fantasy II fan fiction, which was not even <laughs> fan fiction. This is how uncreative I was as like a nine year old or however old I was. I, I just all I, I I didn't write Final Fantasy II fan fiction so much as I wrote a a retelling of the, of the literal story of Final Fantasy II. I was basically writing a novelization. Um, uh, I'm very glad did, this like, episode is about you, so I don't have to contribute any of my fan fiction from that period of my life. Oh, I think you absolutely should now, though. I mean, it's a gesture of good faith to me. Now that I've, now that I, now you have to tell me what was the first, what was the first fan fiction that you ever wrote? Oh, it was Inuyasha fan fiction. Absolutely. Oh, that's good. Oh, I like that. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. Um, But anyway, so. uh, but yeah, I, um, all, their, all their marketing was just like, yeah, there's a weird RPG coming out. Here's these, you know, here's a here's a, a flyer. Of it. Like one of the ways that they that um, Nintendo had because Nintendo had no idea how to how to market Earthbound for Western audiences. They had no idea. So the 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 whole and I'm sure many folks remember this. The whole. Uh, marketing campaign around that around that game was like all like this game stinks and you know this game like like and and a picture of one of the villains uh in the game one of the uh, uh one of the bosses master belch is just a huge pile of puke and it's just like this game stinks here's a scratch and sniff sticker on this ad Sni- uh, you know scratch it and sniff it what does it smell like it smells like shit that's awesome yeah you know you know is that it was during that whole like i think it was it either immediately, I think it immediately preceded the Play It Loud campaign. So at that point, like Nintendo was very much in there, like we gotta, we gotta spice, you know, they, we need to compete against the Genesis, which is where all the cool kids go. So we need to spice this shit up and make people feel like they're, they're, you know, rebellious badasses for playing Super Mario World Two and that kind of stuff. And um, and so they had this really odd ad campaign uh, with again scratch and sniff stickers and all this other uh, odd stuff. But the but the 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 content they showed, you know, it was this, it was. It was a game like I had never seen before because it was a game that was about it was it was kids running around in what looked like 90s America, you know, or, or yeah. you know, it's just it's this very uh, it was it nothing looked like it at the time. Um, it, it's funny how like back then it got ripped on a lot for having, you know, quote, simplistic graphics, which is stupid because they're not simplistic. They're they're very detailed and very nuanced and 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 very particular. It has a really you know specific art style to it. 
yeah. and one that that is that lends itself very well to the game, and one that was immediately attractive to me. And uh, so I um, we had a garage sale that year, and I sold all of my Goosebumps books, uh, <laughs> uh, basically to get uh, to get Earthbound. And my mom paid me in uh, she gave me my cut of of the day's uh, wages in one dollar bills so i felt like rich so i had this stack of like because uh, i think the game retailed for 69.99 so like i had a stack of like 80 something one dollar bills and at the end of that day we marched over to toys r us and i bought the game and yeah, this uh, is the it, most 90s story i have heard in my isn't life isn't it great isn't it yeah I, <laughs> and yeah, perfect for I, earthbound incidentally yeah right it's it's well yeah it's very much god it is it it is very it's for me it's like it's the game is being 12 years old incarnate. Like I, and I, and I don't say that as like a form of gatekeeping. It's not me saying like, um, if you didn't play earthbound when you were 12, you know, you didn't really experience earth. I would never say anything like That's that. Good, it's, I but, played it when I was like 25. So. Well, no, totally. And I know a lot of people that I know people in both camps, right? I know people that played it when they were young and people that played it as an adult. And, and there's something to get out of that game at every stage of like, I think of it the way that I think of the little prince, which is like, it's a, mm. it's a, it's a text that evolves with you and that you see, you see things, at different stages of your life that you wouldn't you know you 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 notice things you place importance on on elements that you know in when you're young that you wouldn't when you're older and that kind of stuff and it, there's it's 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 a it's a it's a transformative experience i think no matter what age you are because it's just there's because there's just nothing like it um but 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 when you're 12 it's uh it was like earthbound was my gateway drug into weird shit you know like <laughs> earthbound was my gateway drug into like you know, I don't need to play stuff that has, or I don't need to read stuff or watch stuff. I don't, I don't have to, you know, that, that I could, I could experience things that were, that were a step removed from, um, uh, from, from what I expected from my entertainment and, and really find something valuable in it. Um, but I mean, but when you're 12, you know, you're not, you're not doing literary critiques of the games that you're playing. You're just like, oh, this game's wacky and cool and funny and, and weird. And there are fart jokes in it. And at one point I, you know, I, a 12 year old boy in the game got to fight five policemen with my bare hands. Like that. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's just, uh, it's one of those games where it's like the, the, and again, like not trying to gatekeep, but the one thing I will say is that it does stick in your head in a really specific way when you play it young. Yeah. Um, it, it did stick in my head in such a way that no other game really has. Uh, and, uh, um, and has informed like all of my tastes and all of my, like my creative pursuits since um it's it's part of the bedrock of my personality i i actually um uh the the u.s localization writer <clears throat> is this wonderful wonderful man named marcus lindblom who is one of the nicest people i've ever met in my entire life uh he worked at nintendo of america um uh, localizing the game and wrote the english copy in in collaboration with a translator and uh uh and with uh, other folks at nintendo including shikisato itoi the the scenario writer for the game and uh, and when I met him for the first time, I told him that. And it, and uh, I, I, the phrase bedrock of my personality came up. And that was the first time that I'd ever used that phrase, uh, it, it, you know, in talking about the game. And when it came out of my mouth, I was like, holy shit. It, it, like it, it, it really did strike me that I was like, I've been thinking about this game and writing about this game and playing this game over and over and over and over and over for about 20 years now. Like it, it just hasn't stopped. Um, it was actually Earthbound was the first thing I ever wrote about professionally. There was a, uh, which I say professionally, I was 15 years old and I wrote an article for um, a really old uh, RPG centric uh, gaming website in the late nineties called the gaming intelligence agency. And they did a, um, 
they had a uh, um, what they called the vault, which was just like retro reviews, basically. And uh, I I freelance pitched them one on Earthbound, and it, you can actually, I think you can still find it if you Google Google for it. It's it's ar- it's on an archive thing somewhere. But it's it's it was the first thing that I'd ever published under my name uh, that I wrote that people read. Um, and uh, I I really do think that if I didn't play that game, my life would be very very different very different it was it, that game that game let me take that part of me per, uh, seriously you know what i mean like it, yeah. it 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 showed it was a it was something that was uh it was it was a uh, it was idiosyncratic it was personal like it was um uh it, it it's not it didn't feel like something that obviously a huge team worked on that game but it felt it felt like reading a book like it felt like i knew a person better at the end of it and when i re- and that game was just it was the the dawning realization of what of what games could be and that they could be weird and interesting and heartfelt uh and heartrending and that's the other thing uh well, actually now i'm jumping ahead but um <laughs> it's it's also like it's it's a heartbreaking video game yeah. it's heartbreaking like uh yeah, and and I, that's and going back to what I had mentioned about how how the text evolves over time, like that didn't dawn on me until I was in like my like uh, late twenties, I think, when I played it, and I was like, this is one of the most terrible stories. <laughs> like, this is an awful, awful, horrible thing that happens to these kids. Yeah, they're like and, kids. And, they're little kids, and yeah, I, we can. I mean, we can spoil Earthbound. It's you know, twenty twenty. Should we? Should, yeah. Should we like? Should we? give a brief outline of what the game is about for anybody. Yeah, I mean, so the next thing I was going to ask you was, you know, what, what were some of the specifics about that game that were so compelling for you? So maybe that, maybe that's a good, you know, way to kind of jump into what Earthbound is. If I guess if people somehow don't know. Yeah. 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 Well, sure. Yeah. So Earthbound is a, um, it is a menu based turn-based RPG, uh, released in 1994. I should know this. I should know that for sure. Um, Keep talking. Yes. Uh, and um, uh, it is in. It plays very much like Dragon Quest. It's um, uh, the one, uh, the one kind of uh, innovative gameplay quirk um, that that sprung out of it, and that is that to this day I think is still pretty impressive. Is the fact that uh, is that your HP is on a rolling dial. So yes. um, ninety four in Japan, ninety five in the US. There you go. Thank you. Okay, so I was I was yeah, you're right. You're right. Sure. Yeah, I'm right ish. That's enough. Yeah, okay. I'm right enough. That's the by today's standards of truth. That's that's close enough. Um, <laughs> Uh, but like uh, it's uh, so like the one really interesting thing it did from a gameplay perspective was that if if I got hit with um, uh, like an amount of damage that would kill me, uh, I have enough time to blitz my way through menus, jamming on the A button to try to heal myself before my rolling my rolling counter of hit points reaches zero. Um, that's the one innovative thing it does. Otherwise, otherwise it is a really straightforward RPG. Um, uh, a lot of times when people go back and, and talk about going back and play it, they'll say like, okay, now there's some grinding. And it's pretty straightforward, but stick with it. Oh, my God, it's worth it. Um, I would give everyone listening who has not played the game the same caveat. Uh, it's it it gameplay wise it might it might feel a little bit dated but in terms of the storytelling and kind of the uh and the the lens on the world that it has uh there really is nothing like it from that era nothing nothing um it's about a boy named ness who is awoken in the middle of the night by a meteor striking uh in the hills above his house um and he uh, uh, with the permission of his mom, <laughs> sets out to investigate this this meteor, uh, and is awoken again later in the middle of the night by his neighbor uh, Pokey, um, who uh, is a uh, basically uh, everybody's pain in the ass uh, uh, neighbor kid that you hated um, to go find his little brother. You go up to this meteor, you find his little brother. That kicks off this adventure where basically you go up to this meteor and a and a, it's, oh, okay. I actually just learned today that it's it's it. There's a character called Buzz Buzz. It's a it's 
it's it's a bee from the future in the Japanese <laughs> version apparently it's a it's a rhinoceros beetle so whatever but anyway this game sounds a, so ridiculous when you try to it sounds so people. ridiculous oh my god it's it, like i can't i can't like explain it to somebody who knows nothing about it without without coming off like a really crazy person but like but uh basically so <laughs> ness goes up to this uh this meteor a bee from the future comes out and says hey heads up kid um there's an intergalactic evil that lives in the past that's trying to end the world uh and you and three other kids are really the only thing standing in his way um so no pressure but basically this is your job now um and then it, the bee dies and then the bee immediately well actually the bee doesn't just die the bee is killed right in front of you <laughs> Uh, by your neighbor's mom, who is a horrible person. Your neighbors are all horrible people, um, which is another thing we should get into is basically how the game talks about adults, which is really, really interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, this, this, uh, your, your guide to this horrifying new world that you've been handed in which, you know, one, there's a thing trying to end the world and two, you're the only thing that can stop it is immediately killed by, by your neighbor's mom. Uh, and uh, as he lay dying, he just reinforces, you know, just let you know, this is super important. So, you know, just go do it. You're it, uh, 10-year-old kid or however old. I don't know how old you're supposed to be. but Yeah, I think it's it's like 10 to 12, something like that. Very young. I don't think, yeah, the game never actually specifies. But, yeah, very young. And um, uh, it's and then an RPG basically unfolds, right? So you start off in this first town, which is called Onet. And uh, you, uh, your goal is to seek out these eight places of power called, uh, they're, they're called sanctuaries. And the idea is that when Ness steps on eight of these, and they're really lovely locations too. They're like, like you know how like when you're a kid and there's the secret place in the park or in yes. the woods behind your house that nobody knows about that has some special feature that kind of sticks out in your head? That's what these places are like. Like So like the first one is Giant Step. It's just a big footprint in the ground. Um, and there's like, uh, oh man, there's uh, there's... Well, I, I could enumerate all of them, but yeah, they're basically it's very just much these... the kind of thing that, like, for a kid, it's like, oh, you see a bunch of little like like divots in the ground, and it looks like a giant's footprint. But if you're an adult, you go up there, and it's like, oh, it's just like some some rock, exactly. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 places that are that have an intrinsic magic to them. Yeah, yeah that 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 is visible only. Like it's oh, the game says so many amazing, <laughs> beautiful, breathtaking things about childhood. It's it's crushing. Um, but basically, uh, Ness is going to all these locations to to basically unlock power within himself and once he does that um uh he's able to by the end of the game you go back into the past to fight this evil that's called gigas i don't know if that's actually the way that it's i, I think there's like eight thousand pronunciations of that that's name so i'm just gonna it. go we're with, good there you go we're good yeah we're the authority right we now we're, on a, we're doing the podcast no one else we're is on here. a podcast about <laughs> it yeah we, we get to we're calling the shots get benny toey um <laughs> Uh, and uh, so, like you know, it's 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 a pretty straightforward adventure in terms of you know, and and in, and it it invokes a lot of those tropes uh, that uh, that are typical of of the age. Like um, none of these kids. There's four: uh, Neff, uh, Neff, Ness, uh, Paula, Jeff, and Pooh. Um, uh, uh, they only speak when they're not part of your party. Once they join your party, they don't speak. You know, there's yeah. it. So they're they're silent protagonists basically. Um, uh, they're you know, you you go from town to town solving problems and finding these locations and then by the end um the game takes a, a significant tone shift um mm-hmm. near the end uh, a, a significant one um uh, as you kind of as you're sort of completing these areas there's one final step that that proceeds 
going at the final boss, uh, which is uh, after Ness goes to all of these sanctuary locations, he descends into a, a, a place that exists inside of him called Magican. And it's basically it's it's the realm of it's the realm of the, it's the interior. Right. It's it's his inner world. And uh, so it's goofy at the beginning. It's kind of like you're just walking around this weird fever dream of his town and like his mom's there and there's people and bunnies walking around and you're in it. He's in his pajamas and it's goofy music and stuff. And then you start descending down this road deeper into your own subconscious where things start getting really uh, uh, strange and 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 menacing and dangerous. And at the end of that road, uh, Ness fights a um, uh, 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 he fights a statue that is representative of the evil that lives inside of him. Um, he defeats it. What's that? He's 10. He's 10. He's 10 years old. He's 10 years old. Like, and yeah, and that's the thing that I kind of keep coming back to. That's why the game gets more and more tragic as, as I get older, because it, to me, there's no other game that, um, there's no other game that tackles the idea of what it means to not just like, not just to endure rites of passage to grow up and not just to, you know, uh, not just, not just to grow up, but to be confronted by and at times assaulted by the world that exists outside of, you know, the, 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 the world beyond the, the safe confines of your home and where you grew up and, and, and the things that are familiar to you. And like I mentioned earlier about adults, all of the adults in Earthbound are, are fucking hideous people, yeah. hideous people. Like uh, uh, you were, you know, they're, they, they're, they're callous, they're uh, indifferent. Um, they, they, they are, they are self-absorbed. They're self-centered. They don't give a shit about what you're doing. Even they your mom and dad, your mom just kind of lets you wander out of the house just permanently. <laughs> and your dad is never there. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the for, for folks that um, for folks that have never played the game, uh, the saving mechanism in Earthbound is you call your dad. So it's any phone in the game. You can call your dad. You never actually see your dad. As a matter of fact, your dad in the credits is uh, during when the credits roll, they have all the sprites of all the characters show up. And uh, the one for your dad is just the ringing phone, <laughs> like it, which is just oh, oh, it just kills me, you know. But uh, but I mean, at the very least, your mom and dad are both super supportive, like yeah. um, uh, one of the other crushing things about this goddamn video game is uh, uh, there is a regular status affliction that will hit you um, that is homesickness. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way that manifests is that you'll be in the middle of battle and you'll tell Ness to go attack a dude and he will stop short of attacking because he's thinking about his mom. (laughs) And the only way that you can uh, that you can alleviate that is by calling your mom and she's like, are you okay? You sound sad. Well, just remember that I love you and I got your back and I'm cheering for you and I'm proud and I'm so proud of you. Like Oh, God, it just it's it's uh, it's it's awful. <laughs> it's awful because like you're because this, you know, you're on this this crazy adventure where and among other things like one of the and it, sorry, I'm, I'm jumping around a lot. Going that. back to that, going back to that tone shift. Um, uh, by the end of the game, what happens is uh, you you collect all this power uh, and then the time comes to bring the fight to this intergalactic entity named Gigas that is attacking you from the past. But the only way that you can do that, you're working with the scientist guy that you meet along the way, who's the father of one of the party members, um, who also is an abusive prick, by yeah. the way. Yeah, Dr. Andonitz like, is horrible. He forgets his kid's name repeatedly? He forgets his, yeah, he forgets his kid's name. He, uh, he, if, if, you, if you don't throw the switch that actually sends you back into the past and it falls to him and he refuses it, he calls him a wuss. Like, it's, the, the adults are awful in yeah. this video game. Um, but basically, uh, the only you have to go back to the past to fight this thing, but you can't send organic entities into the past to do it. So they cut out 
like, I mean, it implies that they actually cut out the brains of these kids because, like, there's a there's a bone saw sound, yeah, um, and all this other stuff. But like, but then at the end of the game, they're like, but basically, what happens is they're put in the bodies of robots and sent into the past to fight to fight a being that has become so powerful that he has become basically the embodiment, the physical embodiment of evil, uh, and he's so he's so powerful that uh, he has to be controlled and contained by a machine called the Devil's Machine uh, uh, that basically keeps him together. And if you turn that off, he loses all ca- all capacity for rational thought. Um, the the final battle in Earthbound oh is one of the God. most terrifying things in a video game of that era. There's there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. It's even terrifying. now, even playing it like for the first time a couple years ago when I was like 25 or 26, it is so scary. It's really scary. Oh. It's 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 very frightening. Like um uh and uh. uh and uh, like uh, Pokey, your neighbor from the beginning, uh, he basically antagonizes you throughout the whole game, but then aligns himself with Gigas, and uh, uh, and he shows up at the end in this really <laughs> in this really kind of terrifying giant spider mech kind of thing, um, uh, and he's basically Gigas's number two, uh, and and taunts you viciously. Like it's not just like you'll never win. It's stuff like you think anybody's going to help you. You think anybody's going to come and save you here in the dark? This is where it ends. Like he's he's telling you horrifying shit, um, uh, and that's before he turns off the machine that keeps the embodiment of evil contained. Like you know, you can you can look at you can look at any like look at any RPG from the era. Look at uh, you know any RPG where it's like oh what what happened dot dot what's the usual joke dot 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 we killed God all that stuff yeah sure it's all it's all lunacy and everybody gets insanely powerful and that kind of stuff. Earthbound does something really tremendous which is it is that it never loses sight of the fact that it's its protagonists are fucking children like it never it never lets you forget the fact that that these kids are way 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 out of their league um but there literally is nobody else who can do it um nobody else seems to care uh and it's a fight that falls squarely and solely on their shoulders um and it's terrifying and tragic and awful um and uh, and and in my head there's like no there's no sweeter metaphor for what it means to grow up, especially and, and I think it's especially nowadays. Like I can't imagine what it would be like to be ten right now. The world must be absolutely insane for a ten year old right now. It was bad enough when I was, you know, in the in the early nineties. I mean it was certainly weird, but I and I was scarcely aware of it, but I was aware enough of it that I'm like, Oh, okay, that's it's messy, you know, but whatever. Things still kind of make sense. Now it's madness. Like I, and I, I I was lucky enough to grow up before the internet. I can't imagine what children have to endure now. Like, uh, um, and it's the only game that I know of that that captures that feeling of uh, just the sheer otherworldliness of the real world. Yeah. You know that 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 has always been there, and that it has informed every dimension of your life. But until you actually have to confront it yourself, you have no idea how strange and alien it actually is. much about Earthbound and kind of how it informed you, you know, as a child coming into being an adult. Um, how how has it inspired your work? Are there a couple examples you can give of, you know, things that you've done that were very informed by by Earthbound or? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could really point to all of Battleborn for for that because, yeah, let's because... Talk about that. you said that kind of when we were talking earlier in the in the intro about Battleborn. Well, yeah, and it's and because and I think without having to get too into the weeds on all of it, I guess what I would point to as the foundation for that is the fact that like when I played Earthbound, that opened up 
like that opened up a lot of doors that pro- for 12 year old me that probably would have taken a lot longer to open if they hadn't been opened by that game and specifically it was like it was it it showed me that game showed me more than anything that like when you're that that a world can be funny without treating itself like a joke um and that and that a uh and that a story could be could be funny and weird and heartfelt um uh and that and that comedy could happen at, like despite the fact that the odds are incredible and that the stakes are incredibly high and that thematically it's extremely tragic and that, that basically it was like it's the it's the equivalent of like it was like the, it was like having the uh the emotional equivalent of hot apple pie and vanilla ice cream mm. at the same time where it was like where it's like you, you you kind of understand that like these two sensations can coexist and not only can they coexist but um they they can enhance one another very very greatly um and uh um so when i when like when we set out to do battleborn which is a game about <clears throat> among other things uh the heat death of the universe and a bunch of you know ragtag so-and-so is coming together to forestall the end of all things uh by protecting the last burning star in the universe like uh, you know i mean gearbox obviously is a is a company known for its its sense of humor and for and for and for going the the weird and unexpected route in terms of its its yeah humor and characters and characterization and all that stuff so i mean that part was kind of built in but where i think my experiences with earthbound really informed that was that i i, I said to myself like just because um you know like I, I can marry i can marry these tones together and 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 i can i can create something new out of that um that is that is specific and and is idiosyncratic and is personal um and, and i can do that in a way that doesn't um that doesn't undermine either side of that equation that, that, uh, you know, I, I can be funny without constantly looking at the camera and winking and I can be funny uh, and I can be, and I can be heavy without, you know, without um, undercutting my characters that are, you know, by their very nature absurd. Like one of the characters in, in Battleborn is a, um, is a very traditional style first person shooter character in all armor uh, all armored up with a big battle rifle and uh, his name is oscar mike and he's a clone trooper um and the idea is that he he comes from a long line of like basically just you know take the storyline from the the clone wars stuff like we're gonna create an entire army to fight this war now just imagine you do that a few hundred to a thousand times or something and you just have all of these big stocks of of clone troopers that are just kind of like left over and stuff that's that's basically his backstory is that he's he's one of the he's he's he along with uh thousands of mic troopers are abandoned on a planet and um and develop their own society uh, uh just basically that's that's uh and and i had like all of the you know we we surfaced a decent amount of this in the game but like all of my uh that was one of the moments like writing his backstory was one of the moments where I realized like, okay, this is what this game is because yeah, it's silly to have, you know, a, a clone trooper that's shouting, you know, that's shouting, uh, uh, um, action movie, uh, action movie one-liners and who considers himself the ultimate badass and that kind of thing. Sure. That's funny and silly, but is it, it but it's, in, it becomes interesting to me if that is the way that he is by design and that, and he comes from an entire society that is built around that idea, uh, and and if there, and what is the inherent tragedy that you can extract from, you know, a character that is that is, uh, you know, 
in in one hand he's uh, he is extremely confident about himself, but in the other he has no idea who he is. Um, he has no sense of, of of true personal identity, and he has to construct that on his own. And how awkward and and terrible and terrifying that experience <laughs> could be, where it's like having to construct a personality that exists on top of the one that you've been, basically been imprinted with. Um, that's when that character became interesting to me, and and it occurred to me that that I that there was nothing about there was nothing about about uh, about humor or lightheartedness or anything that precluded drama or that precluded humanity, uh, and that I could have those things together. And and Earthbound was like the lesson about that. Like, cause I, I always I, I liked being funny when I was a kid, um, and I could never take myself seriously enough to write a dramatic story. And then I and that was I think like when I finally put that in it, when I finally achieved a, a degree of praxis around that idea, it occurred to me that I was like, oh, that's that was the thing that freed me. Like that was. I never had to do that. Like I never had to um, manufacture um, a, a tone that somehow like allowed me to have have my cake and eat it too. I, I could I could instead forge one that 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 supported both of those pillars in a way that that uh, that felt meaningful to me. Um, and uh, I, I, that's that's the thing that I look for. when I play a funny game. That's what I look for. Like when I play a game that wants to be a comedic game, I, I play I look for those games that are so self confident in what they are that they can do any they, they can they can have the entire emotional gamut available to them. Um, uh, no matter like it, it's like yeah we're a funny game but you know terrible things can still happen. You can still feel for these characters. You can still th- this game can still injure you emotionally because you will care about this shit. That's that's the height that that I think Earthbound illustrated for me. Yeah, and I don't I don't want to go back through and you know dig dig spend you know the entire hour only talking about Earthbound, but I I do think we we didn't quite touch on you know how funny Earthbound actually is. We talked about you know kind yeah. of the, the gravity that it has and how serious it is and and all yeah. this other you know depth. But it, it's a very a really funny game. It's ridiculous. There's there's a plot uh, fairly early on. Um, I think I think it's in I think it's in Tucson. Um, where the, the that's where the blue cult is, right? Like they want, oh they god, want to the ha- happy cult. Yeah, yeah. The, ha- the happy cult. They're, it's this cult of people that dress all in blue. Um, they paint everything blue, and there's there's portions of it that are deeply ridiculous. Like at one point, they're painting a cow blue for no reason. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's just all like there's just all this blue paint. It's it's very silly. But then you get in there, and it's oh, it's it's like a very dark cult that is reminiscent of some kind of real world nonsense that's not like really it's, it's that's really bad um and there's they've kidnapped a child and yeah. there's, who, there's all- a child who they who they are basically uh propping up as sort of the uh like they've they've kidnapped their like the the uh, somebody that they think is going to be like their Dalai Lama, basically. Like they, they've they've taken a child and said, "Guess what? You're the goddess of this religion." Like yeah. it's it's pretty it's pretty bleak. <laughs> yeah, but the, it's it's all kind of wrapped in this other thing where it's it's just very silly because they they look ridiculous and they're they're painting a cow blue and it's just yeah and the, and the whole game is like that. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like there's um um there are there are little just little one off gags that are just bizarre and 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 strange like uh um at one point in the game you uh y- you meet a an inventor uh uh named Apple Kid um <laughs> who is he's dirty and grungy but if you give him 200 bucks he's like hey I'll uh, invest in my inventions and I'll help you out you leave town and as you're walking through this you're walking through um <laughs> an out an outdoor area and you come across uh, a statue in the shape of a pencil <laughs> 
and it's really strange. And you're like, well, I can't proceed. So you start heading back, and as you get back into town, you get a phone call from him. He's like, dude, I just had, I've just developed the craziest machine. Come back and like check it out. You got to come see it. It's great. You go back to his house, and he gives you like, I've devised an invention that will erase any pencil-shaped object that you encounter, <laughs> and it's called the pencil eraser. And he says, and he sends you. Which, by the way, fun fact: uh, uh, that was actually that joke was uh, was the localizer's joke in yeah. in the in in Mother Two in the Japanese version. It's just a statue of uh, it's a statue of an octopus, and you get an octopus eraser. And uh, and he tells you when he uses it, like in, in the Japanese version, he says like, "Don't use this near any uh, takoyaki stands or something like that." <laughs> um, and in the American version, he says like, "Hey, don't use this near like." a pencil shop or a school supply shop or something. It's little absurd things like that are thrown. Making fun at video games too. It's oh, yeah. making fun oh, yes. at very video gamey things. Absolutely, yeah. There's um there's an entire tribe of, of people that you meet uh in one area of the game that are too shy to talk to you. Aww. Uh and so you have to go check out a book called Overcoming Shyness from the library in the first town in the game and bring it to them and then they're all like all super chatty from that point on. They're just like, oh thanks man, you just helped like it's <laughs> we it's there are so many bizarre vignettes in that game uh that are and 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 it's it's such a wholesome game on so many levels like it's so heartwarming there's so many just moments of of just beautiful kindness in that game uh uh it's it 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 really does just it it can do whatever it wants It, it has that superpower where it can it can really achieve any emotional height like yeah. and and there is no there and it does and it just it, it explores all of it it's which like how many super nintendo games can you say that about it, there was a fearlessness about that game that yeah. did not exist you know just just straight up fearlessness yeah. um uh and uh and and uh and an undefeatable sense of of um sense of itself like that that it just it's it's the most confident game of that era I, I don't think there is a game that you can say that about uh, to that degree where it's just it, Earthbound knows exactly what it is. Uh, it knows exactly how it wants to haunt you and how it wants to injure you and how it wants to it, it, it elate you and and it does it exceptionally well. Yeah. We've been here for a little while. Are there any other elements of how Earthbound has made its way into your work that you want to make sure that you talk about? Oh man, I know we hit Battleborn, but I wanted to make sure there were any. Other yes, big actually, no. There, here's a big one. Here's a big one. Personal connection with the player. Um, uh, uh, Earthbound does something. Uh, that that I'm that, that has this has to be a first uh, that that when Earthbound did it, it had to be a first and I don't know if any many games that have done this since but like you know games that 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 you know will lightly prod the fourth wall or something and invoke the player in some meaningful way it, it's it's always interesting but the way that Earthbound does it in a way that stuck with me um, uh, was really hard is that uh, there's a couple points in the game where a character will reach out to Ness uh, over the telephone and say like hey um, I just want to make sure I got your name not you know you know you the you know you that one the, <laughs> the one holding the controller that guy give me your name and then you, you yeah yeah and you write in your name um and uh uh and it happens early enough in the game that you likely forget about it by the yeah. end um and uh so uh when you go all the way to the end of the game you go to fight gigas um one of the interesting things about this boss fight and this was actually something that i um that i just learned the other day reading um 
Uh, there's a really great if you want to if you love Earthbound and you want to learn a lot about it. Um, Clyde Mandolin wrote an incredible. He's the guy that does the Legends of Localization books for mm-hmm. Fan Game. There's one about Earthbound that I would very highly recommend that anybody pick up if you're even remotely curious about localization or this game or just really interesting creative shit. It's a great book. Um, but something I didn't know until then is that um, until I read it in the book the other day was that. Um, uh, so in the final battle. You fight Gigas for a while, but then there's a point at which nothing that you will that you do will have any impact on him whatsoever. And the only way that you can get out of that uh, out of that fight and win the fight is by using Paula's prey ability, which um, mm-hmm. I think like I, I used maybe all of three or four times in the game proper because uh, it, it has it, there's a bunch of random effects that it can do, and it's not it's not a reliable. Um, uh, ability, uh, so yeah. it's not always that useful. It might do like but, a little bit of damage, or it might heal, yeah. or it might yeah. do nothing. I think I think I ended up using it and triggering kind of that sort of end condition because I had my characters who were capable of healing were like disabled or or, or yeah, dead in some would, way, and I and was you would like, run out of options. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was an, it was an act of desperation. Exactly, and um, and in that Lo- Legends of Localization book that Clyde Mandolin wrote, there's a note that Atoe apparently. Um, he included that he he made that battle this way because he wanted players to realize that they had gained something more than uh, than uh, you know abilities or weapons or money or items through their journey through the game. And so what happens is you use this prey ability <laughs> and then sit the and <laughs> what's that? It's the friends you make along the way. It, it literally is the friends you make along the way because uh, you use this prayer, abil- uh, prayer ability and um, cutscenes will happen in the middle of uh, in the middle of the fight where um, all of a sudden a little iris in will, will open and you'll see a vision of people that you met in this town or that town or like you'll see Ness's mom or you'll see the kids at Paula's the preschool that that uh, that uh, exists in Paula's house and the kids all come outside because they've they've hurt they, they felt something they felt something collectively and uh Oh God! Just thinking about it is going to like make me tear up. They could be, like basically, you're just you're reaching out to all these people in the dark. Like you're and remember, these are ten year old kids that have been sent into the past and in robot, robot bodies. In robot bodies that they and they're also they're told before they go there's no guarantee of return. Not just because they might be killed by this thing, but because there might not be a way to come back. Right. right? So they've given up everything. And uh, and at the end of this battle, when they've tried everything they can possibly try. Um, uh, the, and the only thing, like Rev, like you were saying, like you know, the only thing that you can do is this prayer ability, and it somehow works. And all of a sudden, and so like every time you pray and you connect with these people, and they they you know they come out to their house and they look up at the camera, they're looking at, at the player, and it says like you know they they suddenly felt a, a sense of concern for Ness and his friends. Um, and it'll go back to the fight, and damage will be dealt to Gigas. And as you do this, you I think it's like eight times that you have to use the ability. Every single time you deal progressively more and more damage to Gigas until. It finally ends the fight. Um, uh, but there's this really amazing moment where you run out of people by like six or seven uh, prayer commands. You run out of people to connect with and your prayers are absorbed by the darkness, which is kind of a terrifying idea. Like it's it's because like instead of the cutscene, it just goes to a blank screen and it just says, you know, your prayers were absorbed by the darkness. And uh, um, so you're kind of like you're sort of you're. You know, you're out of folks to connect with. But then you do it a couple more times and eventually it brings up it says that it brings up the player's name and says, you know, Aaron Lindy can, you know, kept praying, you know, um, you know, Rev Valentine kept praying and, uh, and you're the one it's your connection with, with Ness and his friends is the thing that it finally defeats this horrible intergalactic evil. Like, and, and, and again, by that time, it's very likely that you've forgotten 
you know, uh, that you've forgotten that you even put your name in. So when that, I remember that moment will stick in my head forever, <laughs> forever. Like, um, uh, as, as like, and I think, and the reason I bring that up is because like, and the way that's kind of influenced my work is that I, I never, ever, ever can lose sight of, um, the, the, the fact that I had this opportunity to, to foster, uh, you know, a really intimate emotional connection with a player that, that moment indelibly etched in my head, the fact that like, when you're creating, you always have to remember that there's going to be at the other end, a person with a controller in the hand, who's staring at your stuff, uh, and who is emotionally engaged with your stuff. And if you are cognizant of that, you can make miraculous things happen. You know, you can, you can, and I, I mean, that's, this feels like such an obvious statement to make about art, you know, like about, uh, or, or about any kind of, um, engaging media that, that like, well, don't forget that, you know, people invest emotionally in, you know, in, in media that they engage with. Of course, that's obvious, but, but when you're cognizant of that in the act of creating and when you're, when you, when you really think about like, how do I want this person to feel and how do I like, what is the thing that I can do and what levers can I pull right now to invoke in the player that sensation of the hair on the back of their neck standing up? Like, how can I make them feel like, how, how can I make this moment stick in their head as hard and as indelibly as that moment was for me in Earthbound? Um, Cause that, I will never forget that moment. I will never forget that. It took my breath away, you know? And, and when you're 12, <laughs> it takes a lot. It like, I feel like that, that was a, that was a, an elevating experience for a 12 year old. Like I, I felt like I had, I had seen something really real in that moment, which I mean, it sounds like, banana like that sounds like uh uh that's that's some woo kind of stuff to say but i'm like i think what i'm trying to get at is like it's you know when you're a kid it's 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 you know it's it's i'm it's it's summertime i'm 12 years old nothing matters woo it's it's july like you know school doesn't exist Blah, i'm gonna get on my bike and you know like everything is just you know the world is infinite in every direction there's no need to you know um to, to, to feel stunned into silence by anything. But that was the first time that I remember feeling stunned into silence by, by anything. Um, and that it came from a Nintendo game <laughs> was not, that was not my experience of Nintendo games, you know, um, or, or of any video games. Uh, and knowing that that's possible, uh, you know, knowing that that is what games can do or what any art form can do is that's, that's that's the reason to do it you know that's like the reason to make stuff <laughs> is to is to is to is to fuck somebody up emotionally the way the earthbound fucked me up that's that's my goal you know that's all i want to do Aaron, i think that might just be a beautiful note to end on <laughs> <laughs> um this has been the first episode of game developers playlist uh we will be coming out with new episodes on the regular which you will be able to listen to on all good podcasting platforms alongside our weekly news show with the rest of gamesindustry.biz team and a second new podcast from my colleague james bachelor where he talks to industry figures about five of the milestone games they've created anyway uh once you find us on a good podcasting platform consider subscribing so it'll let you know whenever another episode appears and you can and should get your daily dose of news and insight into the world behind games at gamesindustry.biz. Thank you so much, Aaron. This has been Aaron Lindy, everybody. Uh, thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> Have a great week, everyone.